Good to be with you this morning. Um, Jim kind of spoiled things. Usually I like to find out when I'm announced, I like to see who leaves. <laughs> so I didn't get a chance to do that this morning. <laughs> We're glad, glad that you're here. I am so glad to be filling in the pulpit for uh, Andrew today. So thankful for him and Hannah. Amen? Amen. You do realize that 85% of churches are dwindling and unexistent today. And as we have been growing, so we praise the Lord for that. I kind of like that guy. I liked him right off the bat. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, he loves the Lord. That's evident, isn't it? And he loves people. Anybody not get a hug yet? <laughs> At least one. And one of the things I really like about him is that when he was being interviewed, they said, how are you going to grow the church? Well, first of all, please recognize it's not the pastor's job to grow the church. That's your job. You're the ones that invite people to come during the week. But his response or his answer was, just preach the word. And doesn't he do a good job at that? So, well, we just pray for he and Hannah and the family as they're away uh, over spring break that God would watch over them and, and use them. Three brothers were living together. 96 years of age, 94 and 92. The 96-year-old ran a tub of water and hollered down to his brothers, hey, I got a tub of water here, here. I don't know if I was getting in or out. <laughs> the 94-year-old brother said, I'll come up and see if I can help you out. He started up the steps and he hollered, I'm on the stairway, but I don't know if I'm going up or down. The 92-year-old, he thought, man, I hope I never get to that place where I'm that forgetful. Knock on wood. He said, fellas, I'll be up in just a moment after I answer the front door and see who's there. <laughs> now, if you don't relate to that, just wait. <laughs> oh, man. One of my dad's favorite sayings as he grew older, and many of you have said it as well, or have heard it, growing old is not for sissies. You know, I was thinking about that again this week, and this is the thought that came to me. Being on the beam as a Christian in the 21st century won't be easy either. Do you see the greater gulf between the church and the world? And what God says and what so many others are saying. We need to understand that some won't make it. Some will throw in the towel. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1 reminds us of that. It says, understand this, in the last days there will come difficult times. I've got some good news this morning and then I've got some bad news. Good news is Jesus is coming. The bad news is 
until while we wait, things are going to get more perplexing and troubling. So the question that I want to start off this morning asking you is, do you know what you believe about the fundamentals of the faith and why you believe it? It's important because as I think all of us would agree, we're living in a confused world today. People have many questions. And the Bible says that you and I as God's kids need to be ready to give them an answer for the hope that lies within us. And for us to continually, or to be able to give them the right answers, we need to continually be in the Word of God. That produces spiritual growth in our lives. We need to keep the beak in the book. We don't only live in a confused world, we live in a different world. If you're over 40 today, you'll remember the times when we would leave our homes without locking the doors. Today we lock the doors and turn on the security systems. Socialism is taught in American schools with American history is seldom taught today. The Bible and prayer has been ousted while Islam is being taught. A, parent need, or a student in the school system needs to get permission from their parents to get an aspirin, but not an abortion. We save the trees and endangered critters, as Andrew likes to call them, but we don't save our own. We don't even know what bathrooms to go to anymore. Would you agree with me? We live in a different world. And it is important to believe, know what you believe and why. You say, well, it's what I've always been taught. That's why I believe what I believe. Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study to show yourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The word truth here. And I just learned this this week. Aren't you glad we never stop learning? But in the study, getting ready for today, the word truth there from the Greek, it's only used one time in the whole New Testament. It means to proceed on straight paths, to hold to the course. The idea is to teach the truth directly and correctly. Paul used a word not used anywhere else in all of the Scripture because he wanted to make a point. And you're not going to be able to do this with just coming on Sunday morning and thinking this is going to be enough for me to grow and to keep on the beam as a Christian. We need to daily, again, keep our beaks in the book of, in in the scriptures. Study, show, grow, so that you know what you believe and why. And it won't happen unless you're consistently In the Word of God. Uh, By the way, the the clock stopped. (laughs) That's great for a pastor. (laughs) So I'll get you out of here sometime. (laughs) So we live in a different world. And for a long time in our English dictionary, we have had words that have two meanings. Can you think of any words that have two meanings? How about crane, bird, or machine? 
a date, a fruit, or what you're supposed to be doing on Friday nights even after you're married, amen, women, <laughs> a rose, a flower, or what we do in the morning, a bat used in baseball, just about that time of year, isn't it? Or a rodent with wings. Well, today, we're going to be looking at another word that has two meanings. And we hear a lot about it in our society today, and that is tolerance. Traditional tolerance teaches that we need to recognize and respect the beliefs and practices of others without necessarily sharing them. Now, that's important on the onset of our study today. And I'm, this would be something that it's for young people, it's for mom and dad so that they know where their young people are and what's taking place in their lives and for grandparents to be able to teach it. It'd be great to get this, this, this material, I believe, in every Christian school in the United States because we hear so much about tolerance, but we don't understand what it really is all about. But it's where we live today. Again, to recognize and respect the beliefs and practices of others without necessarily sharing them. Tolerances, R Romans chapter 5, and I can't really see those, and I don't have my other notes. Ah, this is going to be interesting. Accepting one another as Christ accepts you. Be humble and gentle, patient, putting up with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Therefore, as you have opportunity to do good to all, all of these scripture verses are focusing on accepting other people not accepting perhaps what they do, but accepting them for who they are. The new tolerance teaches, or the, excuse me, the traditional tolerance teaches that we live peacefully alongside others in the spirit of differences. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, is that 24? 34. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Traditional tolerance is accepting of others, regardless of race, creed, nationality, or gender. Traditional tolerance teaches that we exhibit, exhibits its loving acceptance of people as individuals while not necessarily accepting their beliefs or behaviors. Got it? That's important. It differs between what one does and thinks and the person themselves. But the new tolerance is quite different. It teaches that truth is relative. Relative to the community in which we live, there are many communities, therefore there can be many different truths. You can believe what you want to believe. I can believe what I want to believe. It makes no or, or little difference. Josh McDowell does a great job of telling us what truth is. Truth is for all people, for all times, and does not change. With that definition, guess what the only thing in the world is that is truth? It's God's Word. Amen. For all people, for all times, does not change. And that's the thing that we need to focus on when we're talking to people that says, well, you just aren't accepting me for the way I am. 
And maybe you have some children or grandchildren, or you've heard people say that. And I hope this morning we'll give you some answers on what do you do, what do you say when that question is proposed to you. You see, anyone that doesn't believe in absolute truth will lose their moral compass and their ability to distinguish between right and wrong. Do you believe that's happening in our world today as you look around? What about our morals? They've gone out the window, haven't they? So the question before us today is this, as Christians, as believers in Christ, in the scriptures, is there a way to accept other people for who they are without compromising the truth? Remember now, this is important, the goal of the new tolerance is not only to achieve acceptance of those that are different or believe different or behave differently, but to force everyone to approve and to participate in their attitudes and actions. Look at that. How can those that preach tolerance be so guilty of such intolerance? I mean, let's be intolerant until you don't disagree with me, and then what's wrong with you? You're now you're intolerant. brings us to a very important term that if you're not familiar with, I hope you will be today as we look at this. Ethical theism is the belief that right and wrong are absolute. They are unchanging and decided by God. Pastors do well when people would come into, when people come into to to be counseled and they say, well, what do you think about this? A wise pastor would always say, or counselor would always say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what I think. Let's go to the Word of God and see what he thinks. Belief that right and wrong are absolute, they are unchanging, and they are decided by God, and it doesn't really matter what I think. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Woe to them that call right wrong and wrong right. But is that not where we are today? Romans chapter 1, verse 27 Claiming to be wise, they became as fools. Ethical theism. I came here from Virginia to be with my daughter and family and three grandchildren. And the Lord's blessed me with, on top of all that with a, a great wife. But I'm reading what's going on back in Virginia. Have you, are you up on that? Trying to take the guns away? And now let's even, they're even trying to pass a law where it is a crime to speak against any civil authority. You can't disagree with me anymore. Where, where will it all end? So we need to understand these things. We need to know what to do. There are three things. I don't know if we can lower that down just a tad. Three things that we lose when we lose absolute truth. Morality. Did you watch the Super Bowl? Did you catch the halftime show? Sickening. Talk about the morality. And then Pete, but something or other, whatever his last name is there. All over Facebook, he in his 
husband, male husband, male wife, it's the wife, sorry. And then just this week, finding 2,400 parts of babies in one garage that a former abortionist had after he died, they found those. Would you turn with me to Romans chapter 1? We're going to be looking at verses 28 through 32, or most of that. Romans 1, beginning in verse 28. I mean, when you go home today, you know, read through the whole chapter. But we'll just look at this for time's sake. Verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossipers, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. Look at the next one, inventors of evil. We think, where's it all going to end? And yet they, there's more and more. Disobedience to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they knew God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only did them, but gave approval to those who practiced them. One translation put it, they gave trophies out to those who did it the best. Justice, second thing that we lose. Today, we have our policemen arresting people. They go to the court systems, and they're set free. And just this week, we were reminded of a man that was tried and let go two different times and went out and did the same thing and killed somebody else. Oh, we need to play, pray, be praying for our men in blue. I can remember I, I, I wrestled between being a state policeman and, and going into the ministry, and the Lord, I really felt the Lord calling me into the ministry and uh, have great respect for the men in blue, as I know you do. But we need to add them to our daily prayers along with our president, his wife, vice president, and wife, because the Scripture says we need to do so, and because there are a lot of people out there that just are out there, if I could put it that way. We need to pray for their safety. Uh, you know, why would any young person decide to be a policeman today knowing what we know about, well, what's the use? They're arrested and, and then let go. John chapter 8, verse 32. You shall know the what? Truth, and it shall set you free. We need to know the truth, folks. And it's becoming more important for us to know that as the days goes on. Uh, the third thing that we lose when we lose absolute truth is conviction. What's a conviction? It's a firmly held belief. It's something that I am willing to die for. It's not a preference. We get those confused sometimes. My preference is that the pastor would quit in the next five minutes. <laughs> That's a preference. A conviction is something that I'm willing to die for. If I sincerely consider everyone's beliefs 
lifestyles, truth claims equal to my own. I can no longer feel any genuine conviction regarding my own beliefs. You follow that? If there is no truth that is more truth than any other truth, then there is no truth worth defending, folks. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. No one comes to the Father except by me. He is the truth. The Word of God is the truth. And when we get away from, thus saith the Lord, as we have been doing for the last many years, we see where it all ends up. What can we do? At the risk of oversimplifying it, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us what to do. That person may not agree with me on everything. I might not like what they do in their lives, but the Bible says we are to love them anyway. May I remind you this morning, 1 Corinthians 13, what God says about love? It's patient. I prayed for patience once. I never did that again. How are you doing with that? Love is patient. It's kind. It means it's going out of its way to be nice to people, thinking up things to do for others. Doesn't envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful, doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things, and it never ends. We've got to read that every single day. We are told to be imitators of Christ and live a life of love just as he loved us. We're told that whatever does not, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I love God, but... Wow, I got quite a few people in my life that I really don't like. Well, that's different, <laughs> isn't it? We cannot like somebody and still love them, right? Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If, if you want to know what real love looks like, look at Jesus. He's our perfect example. Now, this is important. Write this one down. New tolerance says that we are to be loving and accepting of another's beliefs, behaviors, lifestyle, and truth claims. And we are. That's what we've seen through the old tolerance. That's what it's instructing us to do. But never at the expense of truth. It is essential to distinguish between who a person is and what a person does. That's what I'm saying this morning. To love as Christ loves, we must recognize a person's infinite value as a human being, apart from their beliefs, their behavior, their lifestyle, or I could have put in their religion and truth claims. That's what Jesus did. Didn't Jesus meet people where they were? True compassionate love that seeks to provide for and protect another's health, happiness, and spiritual growth could never comply with what the culture is calling, if you love me, you'll endorse my behavior. 
Why? Please put it down. Real love grieves over the inevitable results of wrongdoing. I'm not going to let you continue to go down the road and say, have a great trip if I know the bridge is out at the end of the road because love compels me to tell you, stop. Look at it again. True compassionate love that seeks to provide for and protect another's health, happiness, and spiritual growth could not comply with a cultural call. If you love me, you'll endorse my behavior. Because what? Real love grieves over the inevitable, inevitable results of wrongdoing. Ephesians 5 talks about a person who copies the behavior of another. That's what we're to do. The old saying, what would Jesus do? Yeah. Love does not ignore the truth. Jesus taught truth with love in John chapter 4. Would you turn there with me this morning as we kind of wrap up things today? John chapter 4, verses 7, beginning in verse 7. You remember the story? The woman at the well? Jesus, what did Jesus do with this woman? He met her where she was. All right? Let's look at the account. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For as its disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman, and a woman from Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would give you living water. Underline that. (laughs) The woman said to him, Sir, you don't have anything to draw water with from this deep well. How are you going to get this, any water, let alone this living water? Oh, that's kind of a Harbridge paraphrase there, sorry. Are you gathering that our father, or are you, yeah, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and to drink from and drank from himself and his sons as livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. Amen? (laughs) The water that I give him will become in him springs of living water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water again. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come back. The woman, could you imagine that scene? The woman probably went, um, kind of hesitating at this point. I have no husband. Pretty sly of her. Jesus said, I know that. You've had no, you have no husband. For, you have had five. And the one that you're now living with is not your husband. But you have said, what you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Let's bounce over to verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when he comes, he shall tell us of all things. And Jesus said, looked at her and he said, I who speak to you am he. Amen. Did you get that living water part there? Have you experienced that living water that once you partake of, 
which is Jesus and the forgiveness that only he offers, you're never thirsty again. Has that want in your life, that emptiness, that void that's deep down inside of you ever been filled by the one who gave it all up so that you might have eternal life, that you might be forgiven of your sins? That's what he was telling the woman at the well. If you're today, you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, all of this is important, but this is more important. You can walk out of here different than what you've come. The Bible says that we are physically alive but spiritually dead. And to get into heaven, we need to be spirit, physically alive and spiritually enlivened by the Holy Spirit of God. And that only comes as we recognize and agree with the scriptures that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen. And that we trust the finished work of Christ upon Calvary and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he is coming. And I believe he's coming very soon. I hope that every day, if you know him, you're falling more in love with him every single day that you're looking to him for his re soon return. The Bible says if we are looking for his soon return, there is a crown given to those that look just for his appearing. Every day you can be getting up in the morning and looking up to the heavens and saying, Lord, it's another day closer. Another day closer, help me live today that I might be the example that you want me to be. Help me to be a student of your word, rightly dividing the word of truth so that when people ask questions, I will be able to give them the answers that you have and not what some man has. Real love does not ignore the truth. That's probably one of the main points this morning. Yeah, we can accept people who, for who they are. We love them for who they are, where they are just as Jesus did. Real love warns because it is real love. It doesn't ignore the truth. Jesus taught love, but never at the expense of truth. Ephesians 4.15, you and I are to speak the truth in love. Don't come across judgmentally or better than they are. You speak the truth, but you do it in love. And that's what Jesus, Jesus could have got on that lady at the well, but he didn't do it. He loved her Amen. into the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven. And that's what we can do. That's what we are to do. We have a great responsibility today as our society and the world grows away from what the scriptures are teaching. We need to know. We need to have the answers. We need, we need to be ready to give an account of the hope that lies within us. Amen. And I want to encourage you. If you are basing your Christian life and growth as a Christian by just coming on Sunday morning again, it just doesn't work that way. We have Christians that do that and they are anemic spiritually, weak which makes the church weak. Matter of fact, if you were to ask me, Grant, why are we where we are today in America as far as the morals and everything else goes? I would have to point to the guy behind the pulpit not proclaiming the truth of God for a number of years. And for Christians just relying upon coming and getting all they need on Sunday morning because I would guess that you eat more than once a week and even once a day how can we think 
Why do we think that eating spiritually, being fed spiritually once a week on Sunday morning is going to help us in our Christian life? It's important. But God has some things that he wants to say directly to you during the week, and it's found here in this book. You say, I don't understand the scriptures. If you know him, you know the author. He wants you to understand it. As you begin to read it, pray, God, help me to understand. Grow me today. Give me something that will spur me on in my Christian life. Because that's what he wants to do. This is the more excellent way to which you and I are called. A way to enter into a relationship with a needy world and offer it love and acceptance. May we begin to love in such a way. Jesus loved people, accepted them where they were. That's our mandate today. Again, this morning, if you're here, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you can leave here differently than what you've come. That's the good news. Not only physically alive, as we said, but spiritually alive as well. That's God's plan. Because here was God and here was man and there was a great gulf because of sin. And so picture the cross right there. That's why Jesus came. Amen. And if, getting to heaven, if we could get to heaven any other way, then Jesus died needlessly upon the cross of Calvary. But we can't get to heaven any other way. That's what the scripture says. 